Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson. On the Maroon Friday edition of The Yard, hope things are well with you wherever you are today. I'm a little tired, a little bit. Took the evening off, went down to the Brandon Amphitheater. If you have not been to that venue, you are missing out. That is a great place to watch live music. It was great. Saw so many of you down there, too. want to thank everybody that came up and said hello. Appreciate your support of the Boneyard and of jeanspage.com. A lot of people excited about Dogpile. It's been great. If you haven't ordered your copies of Dogpile, go to Dogpile the Book. That's D-A-W-G, Pile the Book. If you want them personalized, there is a notes section for you to kind of include your signing instructions. But all pre-orders will be signed. You're not just going to get a book. You're going to get a signed copy of the book, if that means anything to you. And that's exciting, right? While you're there, you can get copies of Flim Flam, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dogs, if you so desire. So check that out. And if you're looking for Blooms of Oleander, it's not going to be on that website. But I want to thank everybody that's bought that book. It's done really, really well, much better than I expected. A lot of people asked me and said, hey, Steve what would you consider success? And I say, well, you know, if we sold, you know, 500 copies, I'd probably be happy of that book. You know, that's a lot, you know, <laughs> that's a lot less than we sell with the other ones. But um, we've exceeded that. And so it's exceeded my expectations. And uh, it was just a little bit of a side venture. And uh, appreciate your support of me and of the work that I've done. But I do believe Dogpile is the best thing that I've written. Oh, let me think. I think it's 336 pages. It's the longest book I've written. It's probably the most important thing I've written. I know many of you are excited to have it. Uh, we'll have it out for Christmas. Waiting on the actual delivery date. Worked hard to get that thing out to ensure we get it out for Christmas. I know many of you want to be able to have it under the tree. But uh, again, that's dogpilethebook.com. And if you're looking for Stark Villains gear, and every time I wear a Stark Villain shirt, somebody asks me where to get them. Real simple. Starkvillains.com. That's where you go. But last night was great. It was great. I had never seen Three Doors Down in person. They were great. They are Mississippi's best band. I mean, they really are. One of you guys reached out to me after I did the top ten list for Three Doors Down and said, hey, Steve, you kind of made a mistake here. And that happens a lot. And that's okay. I don't take those things personally. It's, hey, you didn't put Landing in London on your list. They performed it live last night, and I got to tell you, that's one of the best Three Doors Down songs. There's, there's no question. I mean, you all know the hits, right? That is a great song. And Bob Seger is on that song. On the album version, you can go to Apple Music right now and listen to that song, Landing in London, and it is absolutely beautiful. It is a beautiful song with an amazing message. I think the delivery on it is phenomenal. Bob Seger adds a lot to it as well. So check that song out. Do yourself a favor today and check that song out. And then also of note, today's top 10 list, I'll go ahead and give you the, uh, the lowdown now. We're doing Seether today. Seether, of course, opened for Three Doors Down. And uh, what's phenomenal as always, every time that I see Seether, I walk away thinking, you know, how many bands out there can really pull it off live like these guys? They sound just like the album. I had some friends of mine last night. They're like, I've never seen anybody so true to the studio version. But Cedar's phenomenal. One of the things I'll share with you, too, that um, 
you know, Three Doors Down shared last night, you know, the song Be Like That was a huge, huge hit for them. And, you know, it's about following your dreams and thinking, you know, if that was me, if I was in that situation, what would I do? You know, so the second verse is about a lady that's kind of people watching, watching everybody kind of wander around and, you know, thinking, man, you know, what if what if that was me, you know? And he mentioned, uh, you know, she spends her days up in the North Park. Well, little did I know, that's North Park Mall. That's right, North Park Mall. Brad said that, uh, you know, growing up on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, he said, man, we had terrible malls down there. And so going to North Park, you know, back when it was new and fresh, it was tremendous. He goes, especially around Christmas time, it was the best place to go. And I remember those days, you know, when you go to North Park Mall and feel really good about life, and, and that used to be the best thing. I mean, when I was home with my dad in Canton, Mississippi, we would go to North Park every chance we got, especially as teenagers. You'd go up there because, you know, they had Spencer's Gifts and had Camelot Music and all that great stuff. And growing up in small-town Mississippi, man, it was great to be able to get up there. And, of course, you kind of reconnect with people, too. You know, it's like there's some people you only see when you're out. And back in those days, for you young folks, that's what we did as teenagers, is you went to the mall because they had arcades and movies. And and uh, for teenage guys, it was kind of cool because there were teenage girls there. And so you go to the record shop and you meet friends. And there are a lot of people that uh, you got to know from shows, and all of a sudden, you, know, you, you hey, I saw you at the Motley Crue show. Oh, yeah, man, it was great. Next thing you know, everybody's hanging out in the food court eating Sbarro pizza. It's phenomenal. But I thought it was a really cool thing that uh, there's a Mississippi tie in that. And, of course, uh, you know, Three Doors Down, man, they're just a phenomenal band. And it's a 20-year anniversary. They're doing a 20-year anniversary tour of, uh, of the first album. And they played it in its entirety last night and you know of course with their quality performance every song sounded like a single every one of them think man why didn't they release this that's how great that album is they've had some big hits since then too go check those guys out you know here's the thing too i had so many people too like so my buddy sam denton and i we go to shows and it's great because a lot of times i want to go to shows and i'll forget who's coming to town or i'll be so busy chasing mississippi state news that i don't know and sam will say hey Let's go to this. Let's go to that. And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. I'll make it work. Let's go. And so we're on the front row last night. And I had some people during the intermission said, hey, Steve, I saw you down there up front banging your head, having a good time. I don't know why else you go to a show. You know, for me, it's the place where I kind of lose myself and find myself at the same time. And I know many of you kind of feel like that I do. I mean, it's almost like reconnecting with the tribe. You know, reconnecting with the mothership kind of reminds me too why I work so hard and put up with all the nonsense that I do. It's you know sometimes you got to go have a good time. Sometimes you got to let your hair down, swing it around a little bit. And I'm gonna be honest with you guys too. I'm up on that barricade, and I'm representing you too. I'm out there having a great time, and you and, and to borrow a phrase, you want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. I mean, who else do you want up there, right? Do you want the guy up there that got dragged to a show by his girlfriend that knows one song and you know he's got his hair cut up to his ears and he's thinking, when are they going to play Freebird? Nah, you don't want that guy up there. That guy needs to be in the nosebleeds. You need me up there. I'm up there providing energy, having a good time. I met so many people. and I, That's one of the things I love about shows, too, is you, you meet all these people that are there that you would never meet otherwise. And, like, that's the thing, too, is, like, there wasn't any Mississippi State or Ole Miss stuff, even though there were some people, of course, wearing – 
you know, their college regalia last night. But, um, you know, when you're down front like that, everybody's a family. Everybody just kind of looks out for each other. And everybody had a great time. Met some good Bulldog fans down there. Just so happened they were they were right next to us. And so it was kind of cool, too. You know, so because in, in between, you know, before the show and intermission stuff, we could all talk about, you know, Mississippi State football or whatever. But uh, it's one of those places, too, where it's, it's kind of a unifying thing. That's a great thing about music is that we can all go and, despite our differences, enjoy a great time. So let me encourage you, as always, get out and go enjoy live music. Go support the bands that come to Mississippi. That's one of the things that I, you know, when I was younger, we had a show every month. There was a major concert every month when I was a teenager. Either you were going to Biloxi or you are going to, to uh, Jackson or you might even go to Starkville. There was always a show, and it's not like that anymore. And one of the reasons why is because a lot of people don't go anymore. They just seem to stay home. I, it's different for me. I want to go. And anytime there's a major show, if I, if, if, unless I'm out of town, I'm going to go. You'll be like, oh, I see, Steve, I saw you down front at Faster Pussycat. I saw you down front at Great White at Dockin. That's right, you did. Because that's what I enjoy. And so I enjoy supporting the bands that have provided such uh, great music and a soundtrack for living for me. And I encourage you to get out and do the same. And you know what? You might not like like the music that I like. I don't, I don't care. I don't, I don't care if you're going to see, you know, Eric Church or Chris Stapleton or Reba McIntyre or whatever, Florida Georgia Line, whatever you want to do. Get out and go see it. You know, I, I know when Cool and the Gang played the uh, the State Fair in Jackson several years ago, I was I, I couldn't wait. You get there, and it, it's Cool and the Gang. They're, they're legends, man. You kidding me? So get out and go. Enjoy yourself. Take a little bit of a break, man. It's like there's so much in life, too, that, uh, that pulls on us and drags us down. And, um, and next thing you know, you know, we kind of forget that, uh, you know, there's still a little kid in us. You know, we can get out there and kind of enjoy having a little fun. So go do that. I'd like to thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company for all they do to feed the hungry folks of Mississippi, many of you guys have said, you know what, Steve, I didn't know much about Bulldog Burger Company until I started listening to the show. Now it's a regular stop for us. That's exciting, good stuff. You owe it to yourself to go to Bulldog Burger Company. I've shared with you guys many times. There are a lot of times you go somewhere to eat and you don't always get what you pay for. That's not the case at Bulldog Burger Company. You're going to get a very substantial meal. Chances are you're not going to finish it. You're going to bring some stuff home, and either you will have it for lunch or your dogs will be happy you went out to eat. Very, very, very generous portions. And this day and time, there are very few places you can go to get more than you paid for. That's what you get at Bulldog Burger Company. Three great locations. The, the original, the flagship, right here on University Drive in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. And the baby, the brand new one, Lake Harbor Drive and Ridge One, still getting great reviews there. I just had somebody just yesterday that went to the show that while they were down there decided to go by and uh, enjoy the delicious cuisine of Bulldog Burger Company. Love the place. Have the spring rolls. They will make you and everyone around you better looking. We all need more of that. We do. And some of you have been eating spring rolls, I tell, because you've, you've gotten better looking. It's true. Find your own favorites. Have the pimentology ad bacon. That's my favorite. And I, I don't even like pimento and cheese sandwiches, but I love the pimentology hamburger. It's great. I'd like to think it's one of the more popular selections now because of our, our discussions about it here on the show. You owe it to yourself because it'll put some hair on your chest. It really will. That is a serious hamburger. It's a great restaurant-quality burger, but you know, if you're not in the mood for a burger, there's more, there's more Bulldog Burger Company to choose from. Have the sweet heat chicken sandwich. Have that great BLT salad, fried or grilled. 
depending on what you want to go with. Now, you know what? You're not going to finish that either. Go check them out today. Great people that know exactly what they're doing. They know how to feed folks at Bulldog Burger Company. The place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's talk a little bit. Let's get you ready for State and LSU. That's going to happen at 11 a.m. I hate the 11 a.m. kick. I do. Now, there are some advantages to it. You know, I talked to Derek Sherrod uh, a couple years ago, and he said, you know, as the home team, you really like the 11 a.m. kick because of the fact that everything for the visitors is kind of compacted. I mean, they kind of limit time-wise. And so it's like all of a sudden you got to get up and do this, get up and do that. And it's like it's, it's a big change to your local routine, your, your normal routine. And so if you're the visiting team, it's like everything is just rushed. And you got to get up and go to breakfast. And you got to go get taped up. And the next thing you know, you're on the field. And, you know, it just takes a while to get going if you're the visiting team. And he said, well, Steve, you know, it's 11 o'clock. I mean, yeah, these college kids a lot of times on weekends, are, they're sleeping at 11 o'clock. But it's tough. It is. And I understand it. Now, our friend Sylvester Croom, he used to like the 11 a.m. kick. And it's a good thing he did because we played a lot of those old Jefferson Pilot time slots when he was here because, we, you know, we weren't, a, we weren't a big draw television-wise. But one thing that he talked about is let's go ahead and get it done. Let's go ahead and get, get our win and get back home, cut the tape down, Watch some college football, begin scouting, work on the next opponent. Kind of gives you a few hours lead time into the next week. Didn't always work out for us, but I kind of understand that too. But I don't like it because of the fact that you got many of you guys can't be here. You can't be here. It's just too too difficult to get here for 11 a.m. And you and think, well, Steve, you know, you could leave early on Friday. You know, a lot of people have kids that are in the band or in cheerleaders or that are football players that play on Friday night. And so it's difficult for them get home, get settled, and then get up and get to Starkville. Because not everybody lives in, you know, in Louisville. Not everybody's in Tupelo. I mean, some of our fans are scattered throughout the southeast, and it's just virtually impossible to get here for an 11 a.m. kick, no matter how much they want to do it. I love having the whole day. You know what I'm saying? It's like we have the day. We can get out there. We can tailgate. We can shop. We can spend time together, kind of recreate as a family. Because sometimes, you know, that's, that's the other part of this thing. You know, for years and years and years, we kind of built our brand. You know, you know hey, the football game comes first. And that's still the case. You know, like some other people, the socializing is a bigger deal than the ball game. But it's nice to be able to go out of the junction and be able to see some of you guys and, uh, and us have a day to kind of prepare and sit at the tailgate and watch some other great teams play. We don't get to do that. Because here's what happens. If we, if we lose the 11 8 game, everybody's ready to go. As soon as we, oh, that's, I'm getting out of here. And so it hurts, also hurts our Starkville vendors you know, and, and many of them uh, advertise on this show. And so if you don't get here until late Friday night and all of a sudden there's 11 a.m. kick, you don't have time to get out and go run by Campus Bookmart and get you a new shirt, then we lose. And you're like, oh, I'm just going gonna, gonna to do it some other time. When we win, it's a little different deal. You're like, hey, I'm, I'll just spend the whole weekend in Starkville. That's great. That's why I bought a place up here. That's why I rented a hotel room. So I can go up there and just enjoy the weekend kind of being away from home for a while. And so that op- those opportunities are often lost, you know, when we play those 11 a.m. games. But, um, you know, I, I get it. Everybody's like, oh, you know, it's on ESPN. There's going to be a lot of eyeballs on that. But let me be honest with you. Anybody that wants to see Mississippi State play football is going to watch Mississippi State play football. You're not just going to accidentally stumble across it and think, oh, wow, Mississippi State. Let me watch. It's just not how it works. 
And again, it's not, there's always, the, I want to go ahead and make sure we kind of make sure we communicate this. People understand that there's nobody at Mississippi State that picks this time slot. Because for the same reasons that I mentioned are the same reasons they wouldn't do it. Nobody wants to be 11 a.m. They really don't. Because, you know, everybody wants their partners to be around. Everybody wants the, the people of Starville that depend on game day traffic to be successful. And they want you guys to be on campus. They want you to have a good time. They want you to always have a positive experience when you come here. And so it's not as simple as, because uh, I read it, that stuff on social media. And, and listen, I love you all to death. I do. Every one of you, whether you agree with me or not, whether you like the top ten list or not, whether if you want me to get a haircut or not, which I'm not going to, I still love you. But some of y'all make my head hurt. I mean, I, oh, my gosh. It's like I read some of this stuff, and, I, and I, I begin to wonder how some people make it through life. It's like anything that goes wrong, anything that goes wrong is Mississippi State's fault. And anything that goes right was just, just dumb luck. Like, we never do anything right. And it's like, well, well wonder why, you know, Mark Keenum or John Cohen or whoever, Mike Leach picked that 11 a.m. kickstart. They, it's, that's, they don't want us up there. It's not true. It's all set by the TV networks. They decide when games are going to be played because they're the broadcast partners. And so they're always going to pick games that are times that are advantageous to them. I, I think LSU and Mississippi State should be under the lights. I think we are going to draw some eyes. And I think a lot of it's because of the issues at LSU. I think there are a lot of people out there that would love to see LSU lose. But I believe the ESPN 11 a.m. spot is the third most watched spot because you get that lead time out of game day. You know, a lot of people get up and watch a college game day, and so they just kind of leave a TV on and watch that first game that comes on. Sometimes it used to be a Big Ten game, which was trash. But so we're there. So, there, you know, there's going to be you know, some TV eyes on us, but uh, I would love to be, you know, watching this game in person at night because I know you guys enjoy it too. Now, the college football fan in me is thinking, you know what, hey, we have the 11 a.m. kick – We'll cover the game, go to press uh, post game, and then we'll have our stories up, and then we can get home and watch some college football. Because you know, when you're on the road, or you've got a night game, it's difficult. It's difficult to watch other games. And again, I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but it's you know my feelings about the Associated Press football poll, right? The voters, if you're at a game, when do you watch other games? I think yeah, Robbie Falk is our AP voter, and Robbie works for JeansPage.com. Part of the 247 Sports family. Also works for Starville Daily. Robbie is uh, a guy that keeps up. But let's say Robbie gets in the car and uh, let's say we go play a game, you know, Texas A&M. And so he, let's say he drives up on game day. So when's he going to watch another team play? Well, he's not. He's going to watch our game. And then, you know, you got to turn that thing in so quick, you don't have time to go back and watch the games you DVR'd. And so there's some flaws in that process. And that's the AP poll is just the AP poll now. It doesn't – it no longer picks a national champion. But, you know, it's kind of my – the point that I make about all that is that there are a lot of people that vote in, this, in these polls that just don't have an informed opinion because, you know, the job itself kind of precludes them from doing that. I've always, I've always said that what we should do, if you want a legitimate poll, you know, let's go out there and get a bunch of former football coaches and uh, – have them vote. You know, they're at home. They can sit around and watch football all weekend and then go intelligently vote on who's who. I think that makes the most sense to me rather than the media. 
you know, on its face, it makes a lot of sense. You can say, well, these are the guys covering the games, but they're only covering one game. So, some, I'm, again, I'm not going to chase that for very long. But, you know, my point being is that uh, I know that uh, the 11 a.m. start is an inconvenience for a lot of people. It's also a problem for recruits. You know, they're going to play Friday night, and then we're going to play at 11. So it kind of, you know, prevents out-of-staters from getting here. And we're going to have uh, four official visitors this weekend. You have Jackson Cannon, Mississippi State Commitment. Lucas Taylor, Mississippi State Commitment. Stone Blanton out of Madison Ridgeland Academy. Ole Miss trying to make that thing awfully interesting. And then Caden Polk, wide receiver. Caden Polk, from, wide receiver from Hardin County, Tennessee. So those four guys here officially – Going to be a pretty strong list, even with the 11 a.m. start. So we need Mississippi State to come out and play well. I mean, a win this weekend would change a lot. It would change our perception of ourselves. It would kind of get us back on track. I think a lot of people expected us to lose to LSU. But, uh, you know, I had some friends say, hey, we got a good chance to start 4-0. I was thinking 3-1. and Thought we would either win or lose NC State or LSU. We beat NC State and lose to Memphis. And I'll be honest with you, I, even, even though that Memphis was capable, I wasn't expecting that. Wasn't expecting us to lose that ball game. Um, so the reality of it is, is that, you know, we got a chance to kind of get on track. You know, it's like we're 2-1, and one and it feels like, you know, you look up and think, oh, we're 2-1, and one, and we talked about this punt return stuff ad nauseum. But I think it's really not just the, the final scores. You know, as we look at it, we're just so herky-jerky at times on offense. And we really need, you know, some cohesion. We need to get this thing kind of moving in the right direction where we can kind of start scaring some people because, it, you know, yeah, it's great that we had the, the great comeback against Louisiana Tech. It shouldn't happen. Should, I mean, it would be one thing if it was against LSU. Then that would be a classic game. We'd probably print shirts and bumper stickers and posters and talk about that forever and a day. But the fact that it's Louisiana Tech – you're like, yeah, it was a great comeback. But it was losing attack. And then we beat NC State. We start feeling a, bit, a little bit better about ourselves. And there are a lot of people out there that uh, they, they, they never believe there's ever anything to be concerned about. And, and I, I, that's a dangerous thing, way to go through life. But, you know, I, I get it. But we win that ball game and we thought, you know, hey, we won the game. We, we kind of controlled it throughout. But we still had some teachable moments in there. You know, it's like you know, we – had a couple quarters in there. We weren't necessarily uh, prolific offensively, and then we give up that late touchdown. And it, that, you know, that's a it's a pride thing, but it's also an execution thing. It's like, yeah, the game is twenty-four to three. It's, the game's over, but you got to play to the end. You want to give those guys a touchdown, and I know Zach Arnett was salty about that too. You know, we have a little miscommunication there in the secondary. Next thing you know, it's twenty-four ten. Yeah, the game is over. But you want to be able to play all 60 minutes. And then, of course, we go up to Memphis and, uh, you know, get off to a good start. And I've read some things that I have found rather interesting. You know, it's like, well, we were so bad offensively in the first half. That's completely false. That is absolutely – that's not a matter of opinion. It's just false. You have our first drive. We come out, we get into plus territories, third and one, and we fumble the football and they scoop it and score. You know, Mark's you know, better part of our, right, is discretion. So, you know, if he falls on that, it's probably a different – Different conversation. I'm not trying to blame him in any way whatsoever. Guy's just trying to make a play for his team. But then after that, you know, we go down and get a field goal, then a touchdown, then a touchdown, and then it's the half. Then we had one punt in the first half. That's it. You punt once, and you got a you know two-score lead at the half. It may not have been an offensive masterpiece, but it suggests that we weren't good on offense. It's just not accurate. You know, where we kind of bogged down, you know, it was in that third quarter when we had a chance to put those guys away. And that's sometimes the mark of a young team. 
when you have a chance to absolutely deliver the kill shot, you got to do it. And, that, and I'll be honest with you, we, we forget sometimes there were some Dan Mullen teams that didn't have killer instinct. They just kind of let people hang around, and you know, we sometimes we'd find a way to win a ball game. But when you've got them on the ropes, and we did, you make that pick, and it's first and ten at their 14-yard line, and you don't get points. Those are the things that come back to haunt you, and it did. We talk about officiate, we talk about a punt return, but the bottom line is, if Mississippi State takes care of Mississippi State, then that that stuff doesn't matter. And it's easy for me to say, well, you know, it shouldn't have come down to that. But it did come down to that. But the reality of it is, is if we take care of us, then all of a sudden we're kind of immune when there is some injustice in a ball game, Right? And maybe that's the, the, you know, the manager and me coming out. It's like, you know what, don't leave it in the hands of the officials. You go out there and take care of business. And kind of distance yourself from one bad call or even two bad calls, or one bad play, or a bust in coverage, or a turnover. You put some distance between yourself and your opponent, you can absorb those things. This weekend's going to be much different. Playing a very talented LSU team. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to NerdWallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year, managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup, putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's smart money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, Boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. 
You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Let's look a little bit at LSU, too. A lot has changed since our last show. You may have heard there's some reports out that Derek Stingley is very questionable to play. I'm told he's out. I'm told he's out of the ballgame for the second straight year. Now, this is one of the top cornerbacks in the country. He will be a first-round draft pick. He's been phenomenal. Now, he, he had a great freshman year, and he's been kind of up and down with injuries. And they said, well, it's the same injury he had in camp. You know, I've got this unofficially. I'm told it's kind of a hamstring issue. It's not something that, uh, you know, it's not it's going to require surgery. You know, it's not a uh, you know, a knee issue or something like that, or it's going to hurt his draft stock. But uh, but that's what I'm told. Now, now, how accurate that is, we don't know. But the bottom line is, is that he is not expected to play. And if he is expected, if he does play, just try to give it a go, he's not going to be 100%. That's pretty significant. Now, granted, we're not, they're not going to play a lot of man coverage. They're going to play some. So here's what happens, though. When you have a guy like Stingley who is so skilled and you lose him, everybody says, oh, it's a next man up mentality. Oh, get out of here with that. If the next man was as good as Derek Stingley, he'd be playing. There's this trickle-down effect in an LSU secondary that really has, has had some issues, especially in the middle of the field. And so there are a few things you got to look at here and kind of figure out, okay, what are they going to do? How is this going to work out? And so, you know, Jay Ward last year was absolutely victimized by Mississippi State. They have moved him back to safety, and there is some talk that perhaps he could play corner. I don't think that's the case. I think they'll go with Dwight McLaurin, and uh, he's a guy just coming back from injury himself, you know, played against Central Michigan. And uh, I believe he had one tackle in the ballgame. And uh, he has practiced this week, had a non-contact jersey on. And so you begin to think about this. I mean, this is a Tiger secondary. It's like you lose Stingley, and then at least two of the starters are just getting back from injury. And one didn't play last week in Jay Ward. And so this is a Tiger secondary that's been beat up a little bit. And now the thing that I think about, too, is just communication. It's like, okay, we're going to implement this new plan to slow down the air raid. And then here at the last minute, you got to play kind of a game of musical chairs. Well, we spent all week talking about, okay, these are your responsibilities. Oh, well, Stingley's out. Now we got to slot everybody around. Now all of a sudden, I got to reteach all these guys in 24 hours or less. So that's an advantage for Mississippi State. We got to be able to take advantage. And this is a secondary, too, that has struggled at times, you know, with co- communication and consistency. They match up pretty well outside. I mean, Ricks is a guy that really high on, and uh, he had some moments against Mississippi State last year, too. He had the one pick where K.J. left the ball inside instead of throwing it outside, and he picks it off, and everybody remembers that. But that that wasn't on him. That's on K.J. It's not like he made some incredibly athletic play. It was a big moment in the ballgame. Ultimately, it didn't matter. But, you know, if K.J. throws that ball a little bit farther, a little bit to the outside – it's a completely different ball game. Even though we win 44-34, I mean, you know, KJ had the turnover bug even back then. We should have blown LSU out, and they know this. They know that the game, the score of the game was not truly indicative 
of how much we slice and dice those guys. And so their pride has been bruised. They're going to come in here, you know, looking for bear, and all of a sudden you're all fired up and you think you've got a good plan, and then your best corner is out. And your best safety is finally playing for the first time in two weeks. He played in a season opener against UCLA and got, got beat up a little bit, missed the last two weeks. He's back. And as Ed Orgeron says, you know, we're going to need him. Then you're bringing a guy back that, uh, you know, Dwight McLaughlin, that, uh, you know, he didn't, he, he's coming back from injury himself. And so you start looking at these things, and it makes you start to think, well, you know, wait a minute now. Because early in the week, I was thinking, I wish you would probably beat us by 10. I don't feel that way anymore. Now that I've done some research and I've seen how the week has kind of unfolded, and I, and I, I went back and watched some video of LSU, and I'm, guys, this offensive line is a mess. It is an absolute mess. And you begin to ask yourself, well, how does that happen? Well, here's the deal. You go back and look, and you guys that have followed college football recruiting for a long time, you remember this. You know, when Ed Orgeron was at Ole Miss, he was probably the best in the country at getting people to say maybe. And, and like, I know this for a fact, because I've heard recruits tell me this, multiple recruits don't know each other, is that Ed Orgeron was really good at telling those kids, hey, listen, just keep us in your top five. Even if you don't come here, just keep mentioning us. Okay, we're, we're recruiting you hard and we love you. And even if you don't come here, just keep mentioning us. And so there were kids out there that had no intentions of coming to Ole Miss, but because they liked Ed Orgeron and they respected the fact that Orgeron, the Ole Miss staff, was recruiting them probably harder than anybody – they threw him a bone. Now, that doesn't have to be the case at LSU, you know, because LSU is LSU. But if you go back and look at those classes, they were often unbalanced at Ole Miss. And for some reason, some way, Ed Orgeron has never really been a strong offensive line recruiter. I mean, you get some guys in, in the state and you've got some guys that could develop them. But, you know, by and large – You've never looked at LSU or even Ole Miss under Ed Orgeron and be like, hey, those guys got some really good offensive linemen. Now, the, the NAFL championship year was different. You know, of course, you had uh, you know, Lloyd Cushenberry, you know, a guy from Dutchtown that uh, went now in the National Football League. And, um, you know, there were some other guys on that, you know, that went pro. I mean, and, you know, they, it hit good for them. You know, they had a couple guys from junior college ranks that came in and really played well for them. But this offensive line is, is, it, is an issue for them. And that's one of the reasons they have not been able to, um, to run the football with any success. And that's one of the things you look at, too. You know, we, um, we have heard about their left tackle issues, you know, from some time. Um, it's interesting that they, uh, you know, the, the joke this week was is that Orgeron walked into the offensive line room on Wednesday and said, okay, who's going to be our left tackle? That's a difficult question to ask <laughs> when um, – you're this close. You know, you're this close to game time. And they've tried a couple of young guys in practice this week, and it hadn't worked out. And uh, Wire is not expected to play. He was back out there. But uh, they're, not, they're not expecting him to play. And I don't know that I would want to you know, break in somebody new against a blitz-happy scheme like Zach Arnett. And it's interesting, too, that the uh, – the way this thing is kind of blown up with this offensive line stuff is, you know, what, what do you do when you're basically one-dimensional and now you're kind of struggling a little bit with, uh, with pass protection? And it's interesting. I see, you know, a lot of these people are expecting uh, LSU to score a bunch of points. You know, I think State can match up pretty well 
with LSU on the outside. You know, with Emerson and Forbes, I, I don't feel that we are at a deficiency in any respect against anybody in the country at corner. You know, where we have got to be good is at the nickel. They like to move Keishon Butte around. Jalen Green will be a guy that will be on him a lot. Of course, he has corner skills. And so that's a matchup, kind of the game within the game. They'll move him around and kind of get in some – they'll do some switch routes and things like that to try to get the matchups they want. But if you're switching off Green to Emerson or Forbes, I, I think that's still, you know, at least a push for Mississippi State. And then else you can't run the football. And so what State has to do is avoid the big play and force them to have these methodical drives where they have to sustain a drive. And that's the deal, is if, you know, if Johnson's got to sit back there for eight, nine snaps, there's a good chance we're going to get to him one of those. And maybe not to get the sack. Maybe we don't finish the deal, but maybe we force an incompletion or we get a tip ball somewhere. And so I think Zach Arnett is a guy that can make them uncomfortable. And, again, we've got to avoid the big play, and we've got to avoid, you know, turnover and giving those guys a short field. They're really athletic on the outside. Like we discussed on Wednesday, you know, Butte's got 20 grabs. You know, but Deion Smith came on last week. They've got some guys that can get out and make some plays. And so that scares me a little bit, but how often does that happen? It's one of those things, you know, we trot some guys out there that maybe haven't played and succeeded in the SEC like Forbes and Emerson have. They have. And so, yeah, they're going to win some, they're going to lose some. You know, but we've had some guys in the past just get picked on because they, you know, truly weren't SEC guys. We have two SEC guys at corner. Now, I really believe the first quarter is going to be huge, huge. I'm going to go ahead and say it right now. If Mississippi State wins the first quarter, we're going to win the football game. If we lose the first quarter, we still may win the football game. But I believe we get the big start, get the crowd into it, I think we're going to win the game. There's another reason that I say that. I've I've still got a lot of friends down there in Baton Rouge. They want to come out and start strong. They want to come punch us in the mouth, get the crowd out of it. You know, that's, that's typical. But uh, Ed Orgeron, this loss to Mississippi State has kind of stuck in the crawl now for a year. Because I think in their minds they're thinking, ah, oh, it's just Mississippi State. Now, he says a lot of good things in the media. He also said a lot of things about Alabama, and then he went and dropped a bunch of F-bombs in the locker room. And, again, I don't, I don't hold him, that against him. It's a guy trying to celebrate with his team. I get it. I understand it. But I also understand, too, that Orgeron is, uh, is a guy that will speak to the media and basically uh, it's a lot of coach speak. It really is. Now, he's very forthcoming on injuries, which I think is rather interesting. Mike Leach is not. Mike's like, nope, nope, not going to talk about him. And I don't think that's just necessarily about protecting players either. I just think Mike doesn't want to lay down any excuses. It's like, hey, we've got this issue, and you know what? We've got to overcome it. We've still got to go play the ball game. And so we're not going to talk about injuries. And, again, I think it's a twofold issue. We protect the player's privacy at the same time, too. We're not tipping off the opponent. And I guess the third thing is is that uh, we're not making any excuses for ourselves. But I do like the matchup better today than I did on Monday. I really do. And I think Ed Orgeron's going to have a lot of pressure on him. I think that uh, they got to come out and play well. A lot of people have said, you know, Ed Orgeron needs a win. We talked last week if they struggled against Central Michigan and lose to Mississippi State. You might see a dead man walking. I, I, again, I think that's the case anyway. I don't think Ed Orgeron survives. I mean, you know, barring, you know, maybe going nine, ten wins this year, which I don't think is going to happen. But I think that this is a guy that uh, is going to come out here. And, and I'm not saying he's coaching for his job, but I think he's coaching to kind of turn the heat down on his seat. 
And I like Coach O. I think Coach O is good for college football. I didn't like him when he was at Ole Miss, you know, because he was, you know, signing all the best players in the state. He couldn't win with them. And I think that's really the issue. I think you've got a phenomenal recruiter and a guy that's really not a great football coach, probably a great defensive line coach. And he's done more of the CEO approach. But then, of course, as, as people leave his program, you know, he's gotten more engaged and more involved. And I think, I think that's actually a good thing for Mississippi State because I think, I think Ed is probably better served in the CEO role rather than the more of the hands-on approach. So, again, we survived the first quarter. I think we win the game. They're going to dial up some shots and try to hit a big play early. It's a, it's a high-risk reward situation. And let's say they dial up one and throw it deep and we pick it off, and all of a sudden the cowbells are clanging and we go down and score. It could be a fun day. Wish it was a fun night, but I'm not going to belabor the point. Let's get into today's top ten list brought to you by CloseAtBlair.com. Many of you have considered, uh, you know, listen, hey, I need to buy a house. I don't know how. It's an intimidating process. Work with a mortgage professional like Blair Chandler in the top 1% and close ratio in the industry, not the state, not the district, not Rankin County, nationally. Top 1% nationally. Visit him at closewithblair.com. That's B-L-A-I-R, closewithblair.com. Find out about what's more what's available to you. And many of you thought, you know what, Steve, it's never going to happen for me. I've tried before. Listen, there's not a loan out there that Blair hadn't seen. You, know, you may be an atypical, maybe be a non-conforming borrower, as they say. Blair can put a plan together for you and help you get off that hamster wheel of renting. Rates are going to go up at some point. Take advantage of being down now. You want to be able to leave something to your family, right? I mean, you don't want your kids to have to go to some apartment someday or some rental house and get all the stuff out of there within 30 days because you've never really got anything to show for your money. Invest in your future and your family's legacy by buying a home. If you don't know uh, how to get a hold of Blair, let me help you with that. And uh, Blair is a great bulldog. And I believe in doing business with bulldogs whenever possible. We should support each other. You can give Blair a call at 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. Blair can get you long closed. And maybe maybe you're not quite ready, but he can put you on a path to get you ready, to make the dream of home ownership a reality for you. And it's because of the fact that you're a Boneyard listener, guess what he's going to do? If you just mention that you're a Boneyard listener and say, hey, Blair, I hear your ads on the Boneyard all the time, whether you text him or call him or email him or or, you know, sky paint, I don't know. You mentioned to him that you're, you're a Boneyard listener. He's going to pay for your appraisal. That's a great incentive. There are a lot of people out there that want your business. Blair's proven it. Go to closeofblair.com and, again, mention the Boneyard and get your appraisal paid for, which is a $300 value. Okay, let's talk Seether. Again, they were great. It's one of those things, too. Yeah, I look at when I start putting these top 10 lists together, sometimes I struggle a little bit on the back end of the list. You know, I kind of got a, uh, you know, this is a deep track that I really like. And I don't know if people are going to like it. You know, and so there are sometimes you find six, seven, eight good songs and you're like, oh, well, how do I round out the list? That's not the case with Seether. There are probably about 25 songs I could put on this list. I was one of the, I think I put the first wheel on the bandwagon. Uh, among my circle of friends for the band Seether. I saw them at Rocklahoma a couple years ago for the first time. 
They were phenomenal. It was the best performance of the weekend. They were so great. They sounded so close to the album. And then I see them last night, and I'm thinking, no, this is, that wasn't the exception. That's the rule. These guys are just pros, man. These guys bring it. It's phenomenal. So here are a couple honorable mentions that didn't make the list. Gasoline, which they opened with last night, and then Breakdown. Now, Breakdown, the rumors are that song's about Amy Lee from Evanescence, you know, and we'll talk about her a little bit later in the show or on the, in the list. But Sean from uh, Seether was uh, dating Amy Lee for a while, and they recorded a very, very powerful ballad together, a duet. And then they broke up, and rumor is the song Breakdown is about Amy Lee of Evanescence. So maybe go check that out, too. All right, number 10, Let You Down. And that was um, Poison the Parish album. That was the first tour I guess I saw those guys on. Let You Down, probably the best song on that album. The album is really solid. It's not one of their best albums. It is a really good album, though. I think you'll enjoy that one. Going back a few years, number nine, Fine Again. There are other times, you know, that's the thing about Seethers is, uh, you know, they... I can move these songs around, and I don't know that people would really argue because the the catalog is so solid. But Fine Again is a great tune. Number eight off the Isolate and Medicaid album, which I think in many respects is the best Seether album. I think there is a lot of depth in the album, a lot, of, a lot of variety in the songs on that album. There's a couple of hits, but the deeper tracks are not filler by any stretch. I think it's a very, very complete album. Uh, nobody praying for me. That's your song, and uh, it's it's sad. You know, it's a sad song. Uh, but you know, at some point we've all felt, you know, down in the dumps, and that's kind of what this one's about. Number seven, also going back a few years, it's uh, same damn life. I love the vocal on this one. I think Sean, you know, he's got just enough range and just enough grit that he can pull off pretty much whatever he wants. I think he does it really well on uh, same damn life. Number six. This is a song, too, that is a little bit different than the rest. You know, there are some people that kind of establish a brand, kind of like ACDC or in Poison in some respects. Can't believe I compared ACDC and Poison. But, um, but you understand what I'm saying. It's like you hear it and you kind of know who they are. This song is a little bit different than anything else they've done. It's words as weapons. And uh, I absolutely love the production value on this song. I love the lyrics. I love the percussion on it. It sounds great in a car. So when you listen to this list and words as weapons come on, just kind of turn the volume up a little bit. You'll be glad you did. Speaking of diversity in the catalog, they played this last night, and considering that we were in Rankin County, it seems apropos. It's country song. When And I tell you what, they played this on Sirius Octane. Oh, my gosh. It was like once an hour. When this song dropped, because it was kind of playful and, and it's, it still rocks, but it's a little different. And so country song is one I think everybody knows. I know everybody was singing along last night, at least pretending to. Now, when we get into the top four here, I think most people would agree these are the top four Seether songs. You may disagree with the order, but I think these are the best Seether songs. Number four is Fake It. That's one, uh, you know, maybe you don't want to listen to with the kids in the car, but it absolutely rocks. Oh, I love that song so much. 
Number three, this is to Ballad with Amy Lee. And uh, the, man, lyrically, this is just absolutely gorgeous song. It's beautiful. Her part on it is phenomenal. You guys know how I feel about Amy Lee. I think she is, uh, even though that she's from Arkansas, it's like she's from a different time. It's almost like they took her from like the Victorian era and then like she got in the time machine with Bill and Ted and then now here she is. I mean, she's this gothic beauty with this uh, this vocal range that is just next level. Incredible. But it's the song Broken. And uh, at some point, we've all felt this way, but it's basically like there's a couple that they have had some anxiety or some drama in life, but it's like, you know what, we're going to figure this thing out. It's like the part about uh, you know, there's no one left to fight. But uh, it's a great tune. I love the duet version. You can listen to the other version which is Sean singing and it's great but it's not as good as the part with Amy Lee and um, the video out there is really cool too but um, there's some acoustic versions out there on YouTube you can check out too it is it's one of those songs that really speaks to me and there are a lot of songs out there you listen to that's eh, a great song and there are other songs you listen to and you like that they're kind of singing my song you know and that's kind of how this one is for me number two the song they closed the set with last night it's Remedy, and I love the opening riff on this. This is like as soon as they start the song, everybody recognizes it immediately, and then everybody gets it going. It's one of those things like you hear that riff, and then the whole you look up, and the whole crowd is moving. That's how you know you found it. You found that little window into the ethos, and you've pulled something out of it that makes people feel something, and that's what Remedy is. But number one... And again, I'm more of a positive guy, I guess because of some of the negative things I've been through in life. I've kind of learned that, uh, you know, if I just keep suiting up and showing up and doing the next right thing, it's all going to work out. It just is. There's no point being down, being in the dumps, feeling sorry for myself. Not to say that I'm immune from that. I just don't have as many of those days anymore as I used to. You know, I guess it's just one of the things you learn in life. If you just hang on and keep kicking, you'll get through it. You will. And that's what this song is about. It's number one on my Cedar list. It's Rise Above This. And it is one of those uh, songs of uh, inspiration. And, I, and I, I try to, you know, listen, I have songs that match every mood. But I, I really, you know, when I'm, in, when I'm in the best moods, it's like I listen to these songs, man, that really kind of fire you up and pump you up. And this is one of those ones that, uh, you know, for me, that when I'm like, hey, you know what, this is going on and this is negative, but I'm going to make it. And I listened to that, and it, uh, it just makes perfect sense to me. So that's your Seether Top 10. You guys have been sending in a lot of suggestions lately. Many of them, I'll be honest with you, some of you guys, you know, I think I've got a pretty diverse um, you know, catalog. I listen to a lot of stuff. I don't really limit myself you know, when it comes to, uh, to music. If it's great, I'll listen to it. I may not like some of it as much, but uh, some of you guys, man, like, There'll be some of these alt-rock bands that you like. I got some sad news for you, friends. I mean, some of those bands, you, you say you want a top ten, they don't have a top two. Now, they made to you, and so I'm committing myself to some of you guys that like some of that more obscure stuff to kind of listen to some of that and familiarize myself with it and see if we can't put a top ten list together. But, uh, you know, I'm not going to mention the name of the band because I don't want to make the guy feel bad, but I had somebody message me a few weeks ago and he mentioned this band. He's like, it's one of my favorite bands. And I'm like, I, I'm, I don't ever want to be a music snob and say, you know, that what I listen to is better than what you listen to because we're all different. We all have different interests. But I, I gave it a shot, man, and it just didn't work for me. I did the best that I could. I listened to it. I, I knew, you know, one or two of the hits, I guess. But 
it just didn't work. And then, of course, you look up and, you know, the band lost a record deal and that sort of stuff. And I don't know what to tell you. But we'll see. But if you guys have suggestions for the top 10 list, reach out, let me know. If you're looking for lists, and many of you are, because I have friend, the people are messaging me and say, hey, Steve, I was talking with a friend of mine. We can't remember if you did this one. You go to Spotify and search Dogmatic 67. That's D A W G M A T I C 67. Dogmatic 67. That's Roy Samante's Spotify. And Roy takes and puts all these on his Spotify and he shares them with you guys. And uh, it was his idea, and it's I had thought about it before. I wish we could do this, and I had people asking me, "Hey, Steve, it'd be great to have a playlist." And uh, I just I don't set up playlists, but Roy loves doing it, and uh, I'm appreciative of Roy and his family. Matter of fact, I'll see those guys Saturday night, and uh, when they're in town for the LSU ball game. But uh, big weekend, you know, for me. I've got you know we had the Seether and Three Doors Down show last night, which was great. Got the M Club Hall of Fame Gala tonight at Humphrey Coliseum. If you're in town looking for something to do, come by and check that out. I believe you can buy tickets at the door. If not, visit the M Club online and get that handled. In addition to that, we've got a little football game tomorrow morning. And then, of course, I'll eat uh, dinner with Roy and him on Saturday. And then we've got official visitors on campus this weekend. Paul Jones and I will interview them on Sunday as they leave. As I mentioned earlier in the show, you know, we've got four guys here, but it's gonna there are gonna be a lot of people here, prospect wise, for the ball game that's kind of within our regular recruiting footprint. But uh, eager to hear how that goes. You know, the two undeclared guys on campus, Caden Pope and uh, Stone Blanton. Stone's a lot closer to making a decision uh, than Pope is, from what we understand. Pope's still got some other visits to take. Stone has taken his fifth and final official visit. I still believe it's Mississippi State. I know that there has been some juice as of late on the Ole Miss side of things, and you expect there to be a little bit of a bump after an official visit. I mean, if not, you didn't do a good job, right? So I'm not the least bit uh, surprised that all of a sudden you know, there's some Ole Miss optimism after the visit. And it's they've had some up and down stuff too. They say, oh, well, this isn't going to happen, or we felt good about it, now this guy's talking. you know. So, you know, State's got to come in here and do a good job this weekend and uh it's interesting too there are a lot of people that all of a sudden have become experts on uh you know stone blanton after they, they basically didn't do anything with him you know for months and it's kind of conceded him to mississippi state and they're like oh yeah well mississippi state took him for granted uh this wasn't true absolutely not true stone blanton understands that he is a priority to mississippi state zach arnett has been recruiting him personally but the bottom line is stone blanton is a priority to the mississippi state staff you know, I think that he's a guy, too, that understands that uh, he's got a chance to legitimately play both sports here and play at a high level and not just be a pinch runner or a defensive, you know, replacement late in the ball game. that maybe he would be somewhere else. He'll be given a chance to compete here, just as Brad Cumbus was and as Sawyer Robertson will. So we'll see how it works. Um, but the bottom line is, you know, it's in-state recruiting. And one thing that I'll say, too, that uh, I want to make sure that I address this, because sometimes a lot of people just kind of jump on, um, you know, the kind of the lazy excuse. You know, it's like, oh, how are they involved in all this? There must be money involved. Guys, there's nothing like that going on with Stone Blanton. Now, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah, are there are some people out there at times that target some of these kids, especially those in need, because they feel like that they are, are easy targets. Yeah. Yeah. That happens. It's like, I can't tell you how many times I've heard the story. It's all you need to do this for your mom. You know, your mom's always been there for you. 
You know, you remember all those nights it's been you and your mom and your brothers and sisters or whatever, and, you know, you saw your mom struggle, and so, you know, you need to do something for her. You don't think those conversations happen. You're kidding yourself. They do all the time. That's not the case with Stone Blanton. So, you know, let's not go back to the, you know, the whole greatest hits Ole Miss thing and say, oh, well, just because they're involved, there must be some malfeasance. I mean, this is a guy that's got Ole Miss people in his family. So he is making a legitimate decision, gathering his all information. And I'll be honest with you, I've been told throughout the process, especially the second half of it, hey, he's going to be a bulldog. He's going to Mississippi State, going to Mississippi State, going to Mississippi State. And uh, heard that from people that uh, have direct knowledge of the situation. Now, that said, and when you get down to the end, you start taking official visits. I mean, there's going to be some ebb and flow with things. So the bottom line is State needs to go out there and have a great visit with him this weekend. You know, Chris Lamonis and, and the staff, they're going to be involved too. You know, Stone's going to be around. That's one thing, too, about that 11 a.m. ball game. You know, he'll get two nights, right? He'll get here Friday night and have a chance to be out there with the guys, uh, you know, tonight or Friday night, I guess. And then, uh, and then of course, uh, Saturday evening. You get a chance to go out there and you know, see center baseball players too. And, and I've had some people question, oh, well, can baseball talk to him while he's here? They absolutely can. He's a guest of the university. So, you know, I believe T.A. is in town. I believe that's right. I know Brad Cumbus is. And, uh, you know, Brad's a guy, obviously, that, uh, you know, connects pretty well with Mississippi guys. And he can also explain how the whole two-sport athlete thing works. And, and here's the thing, too, that, uh, that I would like to, uh, to suggest, and it's not even a matter of opinion, it, it is a fact. So Ole Miss baseball has had, uh, you know, a couple guys go up there and play a little bit, and, uh, and which has been great. I mean, really, truly it has. It's been great. But only Mississippi State has had a two-sport athlete win the national championship. Right? Not to mention, uh, Brad Cumbus became the full-time starter in left field and not a part-time starter in right field like a uh, former quarterback at Ole Miss. And so, again, you know, it's like all things being equal, Mississippi State's better. Just are. Mississippi State is better than Ole Miss. I, I don't know how much we can, we can explain it. Now, that doesn't mean that every kid in the state is going to come to Mississippi State over Ole Miss, which they should – but it doesn't mean they're going to. Sometimes they just like the other guys better. And Blanton comes from a house that's kind of divided, too. I mean, you got some state folks in the family, and you got some Ole Miss folks in the family. And so it's not like, even though he grew up a lifelong Bulldog, it's not like that he has been totally immune from positive news about Ole Miss throughout his life. But Stone's a great player, and uh, I believe going to make a great Bulldog. Now, we'll see what happens uh, over the course of the next 10 days, but I'm still confident that, uh, he's going to be a bulldog, but you know, it's, it's almost irresponsible to completely ignore, you know, news from the other side, even though you know, some of the people involved in the, the distribution of that news, uh, have consistently been part of misinformation campaigns or poorly sourced reports. You know, it's still, it still makes a blip on the radar. You still take a look at that and say, you know, Hey, we need to pay attention to this. Because when guys are coming to state, when I see the Ole Miss guys kind of throw up the white flag and they'll, you know, they'll crystal ball and say, hey, this guy's going to go to Mississippi State. You know, I figure they probably already picked out a dorm and uh, already come up here and you know, got them a you know, locker or whatever. You know? And so when they are still somewhat optimistic that they are in the mix, you know, where the guy's about to decide, I mean, it's, it's silly to ignore that. True or untrue. 
And I remember last year, it's so funny, I remember in the days leading up to signing day, I think I was the only person saying that I was worried that MJ Daniels was going to flip to Ole Miss. And, and I contend to this day, I probably had the best sources in the situation. But I did, at the very end, I just couldn't pull the trigger on it. I just couldn't pull the trigger on the flip. Steve Wolfong beats me to the punch there. And then next thing you know, we're chasing the phones, and then the guy announces. But if you recall, you know, there was some, uh, you know, the old Miss media were saying, hey, he's going to stick with Mississippi State and come back later and say, oh, yeah, we already knew. Of course. Of course you did. Of course. And I remember the, uh, the, the Mikhail and Pounders thing. I could probably write a book about all that stuff. Maybe I should. You know, the Mikhail and Pounder stuff. You know, basically, this is a kid that was used as a pawn in a recruiting PR shell game, and now is at the University of Memphis. And I absolutely wish that kid the best. I absolutely do. Did he make some mistakes? Absolutely did. He kind of played into the hands of the nonsense and uh, ultimately cost him an opportunity to play football in a Southeastern Conference. And we talk all the time about, oh, yeah, well, you know, these big schools find you. I mean, the, the pro scouts will still find you. That's true. But uh, wouldn't you be a, a more polished product playing in the Southeastern Conference? Absolutely you would. All right, so let's get ready to move forward here. Let's begin to pick the rest of the SEC. And, again, I'm going to give you Mississippi State as a winner of LSU. I might, I might feel silly tomorrow about 2 o'clock. I think State's going to find a way to win this ballgame. Next segment of the show brought to you by CampusBookmart.net. Stand and man, Miss Kathy Brown, lovely, talented Susie, they would love to see your smiling face this weekend because their faces will be smiling as well. Miss Pam Minyard's there too. Great friend of mine. Think a lot of her for sure. You go by and see them and get service with a smile. And it's one of those things too. It's like, you know, I want to do business with people that are good business people. And when you've been in business as long as Campus Bookmart, you can have some, some confidence in knowing that there is some staying power there. You're going to develop relationships there. Stan the Man is your friend. Stan's not going anywhere. Stan's Bulldog. It's a Starkville guy. Go by and check him out. If you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web, courtesy of Al Gore's Internet, at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, because that's what we do here. We save you a little money. Just by listening to the show, you can uh, you know, save some money in life. Use promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson, and that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Again, that's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR, which reminds me, if you are in town this weekend, I'll be signing books downtown at the sister store, Bookmart and Cafe, from 11 to 3 on Sunday. Not during the game on Saturday. I'll be at the game. But on Sunday, so if you're, if you're hanging out, come by and get signed copies of uh, the first four books. I'll be there you know, for a few hours hanging out, and we'll have a good time. Again, that's Book Barton Cafe downtown. Okay, so let's look at the, the rest of the weekend. I, I, don't, I don't like the schedule a whole lot because there's some, there's some games on here that I think are, uh, are kind of gross. But there are some interesting matchups. All right, so let's start, you know, the other 11, I guess there's three 11 a.m. games, and it just blows my mind. It's like we got, we got a lot of SEC play this weekend, and we're going to pack three games, two of them SEC head-to-head games in the 11 a.m. slot. It is so stupid. It's stupid. 
I can't believe some of these decisions are getting made sometimes by TV networks. So Georgia at Vanderbilt, that's your SEC network game. Georgia will steamroll Vanderbilt. They've got this offensive thing worked out. Georgia arguably one of the best defenses in the country. Vanderbilt, not. Vanderbilt, one of the worst teams in the Power Five. Georgia will show the difference between number one and number 14 in the SEC this weekend in spades. Of course, LSU Mississippi State already picked that one. I'm going, I'm going with Mississippi State at home. Missouri at Boston College. You guys know I'm kind of a closet Missouri fan. And I didn't like this matchup initially. But then Boston College has lost their starting quarterback, presumably for the year. So because of that, I thought it was going to be a close ball game. Anyway, I'm going to go with Mizzou on the road against BC, playing a backup quarterback. I, I, I really like this Mizzou team. I really do. I think they'll be a solid ball team. I really do. I'm kind of glad we're not playing them this year. A&M at Arkansas. This is one of those pick'em games. And it's like maybe we'll get home for the second half of this. It's a CBS game. I like A&M in some respects. I don't think they're very good offensively. I think their defense is overrated. I think they are very much overrated as a top-10 team. And I think this is what happens when you start looking at records. It's like, oh, well, they had that great team last year, and Jimbo always recruited so well, so they'll just keep rolling. But it was a complete unknown at quarterback. I mean, you, you just have absolutely no idea. So to expect the train to keep rolling after you're replacing a four-year starter with a brand-new guy is a little bit naive. I, I, I'm picking the hogs here. I, I really am. I think A&M is overrated. I think Arkansas is very good at home. That place will be electric. They're really fired up up there. And, I, and I, I'm not so sure how, Ar- how good Arkansas is. I'm also not sure how good A&M is, especially with the backup quarterback. I think Arkansas can run the football, and I think it'll be a low-scoring game as a result. I think this is going to be a game in many respects. It's probably played in the phone booth. I think I picked it 17-13, but I'm going to take the Hogs at home over an A&M team that is overrated and playing with the backup quarterback, but defensively is very good. But I think it'll be a fun game. Now, a friend of mine says he thinks that, you know, this could be a blowout either way. I, 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 don't, I don't know that I see it that way, but we'll see. I mean, football's funny. Georgia State is at Auburn. Auburn struggled a little bit to run the football last weekend. And, uh, you know, Penn State defensively, pretty, pretty good Big Ten defense. They gave them some trouble. No trouble for Auburn this week, obviously, with Georgia State coming in. And Auburn, and if you look at the Auburn schedule, too, it's one of those things, you know, you begin to look at. Yeah, they're ranked in the top 25 again. Probably fair, but that's probably a helmet sticker pick. You know what I'm saying? But, like, if you go back and look here, they have played Akron, Alabama State. Then they lose to Penn State, who was the number 10 team, the only quality team they played. And then they get Georgia State. This team is not ready for SEC play. They're not. And then you begin to kind of look at, you know, how this thing's going to open up for them in the SEC. They got to go to Tiger Stadium first. And I think we'll kind of know what uh, what LSU is about after this weekend. But, you know, those Auburn-LSU games have been really, really good the last uh, several years. And then uh, Georgia is at Auburn. And then Auburn goes to Arkansas. And then Ole Miss goes to Auburn. And then Auburn goes to A&M. I mean, you could see this – five five game stretch to open the league you could make an argument that Auburn could win or lose every one of those games 
Absolutely could. It's going to be very, very interesting once Auburn gets in the SEC play. And, again, I don't think they're ready. I think there's a lot of smoke and mirrors to that offense. And you're going to have some of the best defensive coaches in the game breaking down that film. And by the time they get a couple weeks into the SEC schedule, I think a lot of of things that worked against Alabama State will be scrapped out of the playbook. True story. All right, so let's take a look here. Let's move down. Tennessee at Florida. Now, listen, we know Dan Mullen as well as anybody. Every time Dan has the the near miss against Alabama or LSU or whatever, the next week we usually came out flat. Even if we won, we kind of went through the motions. Honestly, I think that's a byproduct of, of who Dan is. I think Dan put so much effort into beating Alabama. And then you come up short, and you're like, oh, well, now what? We didn't get over that hump. I can see Tennessee hanging around, but I think Florida just has too many athletes here, and they're playing at home in the swamp. I, I like Florida to win the game. I do think it'll be closer than many people anticipate. I'm not, I'm not real big on this Tennessee team. I think Josh Heupel will do a good job if they're patient with him, if they, if they can figure out how to recruit at Tennessee, and that's what's kind of got them in the trouble they're in now. And, man, that's been awfully quiet, hasn't it? I mean, we hadn't heard an update on the Tennessee NCAA investigation in a long time. And that's like, you know, I kind of think at times back, you know, with this Ole Miss stuff that we had happen. You know, it's like they could not get out of their own way. But Tennessee's kind of like the kind of the KJB. I mean, you know, it's like, hey, yeah, we've made our statements and uh, we fired our guys and we're, we're going to do this and we're going to do that and we're not going to talk about it. And they hadn't talked about it. There just really hadn't been much out there. There's no breaking news, and, you know, maybe I guess because there's nobody out there like me that's pursuing the Tennessee stuff and uh, kind of letting it be known out there. I don't know. But um, the reality of it is is Tennessee's done a pretty good job of kind of keeping a lid on all that. And I think, uh, you know, the focus is on Tennessee football. But this weekend is going to be a tough week at Florida. And, again, I think Florida probably wins it late by a couple scores, probably out of athletes, Tennessee. But don't be surprised you look up at halftime Tennessee's winning. All right, Kentucky at South Carolina. I almost went with South Carolina just because I feel like Kentucky is due to lose to somebody that they shouldn't. But I just don't think that Carolina's good enough to pull it off, even at home. And listen, I, I think South Carolina is better than I anticipated them being the first few games under Shane Beamer. And, of course, it's, there's a long season ahead of us. But when they got in the hole against East Carolina, they could have easily just folded up and said, well, you know, losing is kind of what we do. But they didn't. They came back. Now, they didn't look good against Georgia. And, I, and I, I listen, I love what Brandon said, you know, but sometimes the other guys are just better at football than you, and that's just the reality of life, right? That's Georgia, South Carolina. There is a talent disparity there, and I, I commend Shane Beamer for admitting that. And there's so many times out there, I mean, you get so much coach speak. I kind of appreciate, you know, the, the fresh air from Shane Beamer. He says, you know what, hey, we'll go out there and play as well as we can. We'll put together – as good a game plan as we can to get our guys in a position to compete. But at the end of the day, they got better players than us. It's not always somebody's fault. You know, sometimes it's just the reality of life. Sometimes you're just not good enough. And we expect, oh, you got to find a way to win. You got to do. No, some, you know, sometimes it's just not the case. I remember coaching high school baseball and having to play Baton Rouge Catholic in a summer league game. I didn't think we'd ever get an out. These guys were so good, they're just better than us. And it wasn't an indictment on me as a coach or our players. It's the reality of it was is that, you know, you had guys that played baseball year-rounds since they were about five years old. 
playing against my outfielders that uh, many were converted football players. I mean, sometimes it doesn't matter how much you want it, how much you prepare. Sometimes you're just not good enough. So good for you, Shane. All right, so Southern Miss is at Alabama speaking of not being good enough. Uh, Alabama has, I guess you'd say, uh, you know, maybe some uh, chinks in the armor here. Uh, I think it's pretty apparent that this Alabama defense is not what it has been. I really thought, when, going back and watch that Florida-Alabama game, I give John Hevesy's group a lot of credit. They were knocking Alabama off the football. And all of a sudden, Emory Jones looking out there like a, uh, like a thinner version of Chris Ralph, out there running around making some things happen. So this Alabama front got a lot of stars next to their name. They should be really good. They got the fight taken to them last week. Now, they lived to tell the tale because Dan and them couldn't complete a two-point conversion. But we talk about having some youth on our team. There's someone on this Alabama team, too. They get up 21-3. It's like, oh, the game is over. It's not. And then they have to fight for their lives late in the ball game. It's kind of like what you know, Mike Leach mentioned. Oh, you know, we got ahead, and then we kind of coasted, and then we panicked. That's exactly what I saw in this Alabama game. They got ahead, they coasted, and they ended up panicking. Like, oh, my gosh, we've got, we've got to re-engage. And so they did. They found a way to win. They will destroy Southern Miss. And listen, Will Hall is going to do a good job at USM. And I don't know how many Southern Miss fans ever listened to the show. But the reality of it is, is that I, I believe in Will Hall. He's going to do a good job recruiting down there. He's going to get those guys that maybe have Mississippi State and Ole Miss interest, but not State or Ole Miss offers. And he's going to build a good program down there. They just got to be patient with him. And they will be. Will understands it. Will's a guy that understands recruiting in Mississippi. Now, this year, it's about kind of laying the foundation. And, and listen, let's be honest, that program hadn't been in good shape, I mean, since Jeff Bauer left. I mean, Larry Fedora won the, the CUSA championship and then got out of town as quickly as he could because he knew the pain train was coming because they hadn't recruited well. You know, you get Austin Davis up there who, was, who should have been a Bulldog. I don't care what anybody says. I'll fight you about that. Austin Davis – Western Lauderdale High School, the only reason that he didn't get more looks is because they played in a run-first offense at West Lauderdale. That kid grew up a Bulldog, wanted to be here, ends up going to Southern Miss and becomes one of the best quarterbacks in school history. And you look at some of the quarterbacks that we took and let him go to Southern Miss, right? Right? But that's what Will Hall will do. He'll find those Austin Davises of the world that are uh, that are out there kind of running around that uh, maybe State and Ole Miss just kind of flirting with. But, yeah, this isn't the week. You know, this isn't the week. And you look at them and they, they struggle to put up points, you know, and they have most of the year. They uh, – let's see here just for a second here. Let me look here just for a second, see what I'm looking at here. I heard something yesterday that I thought was rather interesting. And I haven't verified that just yet. But I hear that uh, there's a couple of Southern Miss guys that are going to be here this weekend at Mississippi State. A couple of guys that are committed there that uh, State's kind of been in contact with, and they made commitments to Southern Miss. You know, good job by Will Hall and those guys getting them. But that's always going to be the issue if you're at Southern Miss. If State or Ole Miss come back late, you're kind of going to be treading water there because it's going to be difficult to compete against the chance to play in a Southeastern Conference. So, yeah, there's a couple of guys I'm told yesterday – they're committed to Southern Miss. They're expected to be here this weekend. The state hadn't offered yet, but there is discussions about that happening if they continue to progress this year as game tape begins to kind of roll in. 
so that that's kind of important too. So, you know, looking at the league this weekend, again, there's just kind of some gross games out there, but there are some other games that are rather intriguing. As you guys, there's some toss-ups for sure. And uh, it's not a great TV weekend because of how they structure this thing. You know, I just don't think Kentucky, South Carolina, you don't, you, you don't think Mississippi State and LSU would draw more eyeballs than Kentucky, South Carolina, even though it's on the deuce? The Tennessee-Florida thing, that's a helmet sticker game. I mean, does anybody really expect Tennessee to beat Florida? Do you? I don't. I don't think there's much much question about that. You know, and, and that's – you remember when that used to be the game of the SEC, right? You know, when Spurrier and Fulmer were there. It was like, oh, my gosh, the winner of the Tennessee-Florida game always won the East and is, in, in many years won the SEC. But, you know, that was the game, you know. I'm, and, you know, Redell Anthony and all those guys, I mean, those, those were – those are big-time names. I mean, it's like you, you go back and you look at all that, and Jock West Green, there were so many guys involved in those games that, you know, that, that's what created the whole thing about, you know, Spurrier saying you can't spell Florida Citrus without UT, you know. But Florida has dominated this series. Oh, my gosh, it's so bad. It, it's 30-20 to 20 now. And here I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shake your moneymaker right here, right? Since 2004, and remember these teams play annually because they're both in the SEC Eastern Division. Since, since 2004, Tennessee's won once. One time. This used to be the rivalry in the SEC East. And you can run it down. I mean, it is just absolutely crazy to look how this thing has gone. So Florida's won four in a row. The last Tennessee win was in 16. That's 38-28. Before that, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 in a row. So Florida has won 14 of 15 against Tennessee. That's the difference in the schedule. That's a difference in the series. It's their most recent 15 years. You know, Tennessee dominated this series in the beginning. That's, that's back in the, uh, the early days in the infancy of, of college football. You know, Florida got their first win in 54 and then played uh, Tennessee in the Gator Bowl in 69. They win that one. And the next thing you know, everybody's, uh, you know, playing a little more regularly in the SEC. And then, all you know, Florida began to kind of get in there and kind of win as much as they lost. But, you know, the luster off what was once a great rivalry, you know, is gone. You know, and the same can be said about the Tennessee-Alabama rivalry, which is a complete joke. And you know my feelings about the uh, – you know, about the stupid, you know, third Saturday in October nonsense. Nobody cares about that. It's just stupid. Nobody cares. I can get fired about that in a second. Oh, but Steve, you don't understand. No, you don't understand. No, Nobody wants to watch that football game except for Alabama and Tennessee fans. Nobody cares. It's not the game of the year anymore. And it really, it hadn't been that way for a long time. Well, you know, we don't want to you know, move from tradition. Guys, here's the new tradition. Alabama owns Tennessee. 14 straight, 14 straight. And these games have not been competitive by and large. I'm going to run these down for you real quick and we're going to move on. Guys, 48-17, 35-13, 58-21, 45-7, 49-10. we've got a close one, 19-14. 34-20, 45-10, 44-13, 37-6, 41-10. Oh, another close one, 12-10. 
I believe that's the famous Rocky Block game, right? Well, when uh, Cody blocked the punt or the field goal. Uh, 29-9-41-17. So, yeah, so basically once a decade, Tennessee is competitive with Alabama. But we're going to hold the whole conference hostage for that. It's so stupid. I continue to hear that the new scheduling rotation is a lot closer uh, to what is more beneficial to Mississippi State. And so, you know, we talked about the pod system, that sort of stuff, and a lot of people were kind of picking the pods and they like this. Well, let me throw this idea at you. What, what if we just had, instead of having, like, divisions, what if we just had three permanent opponents? And so instead of us having to play the other six teams in the West and then a couple teams from the East, in addition to Kentucky, to put a schedule together, what if we had three permanent SEC opponents and then everybody else rotated? And you know what that would do over the course of four years? It would give every student athlete the opportunity to play in every SEC venue. That's a pretty cool – that's a nice perk. I mean, it really is. I mean, you look at the way the schedule rotation works now. I mean, we talk – you know, Missouri's been in the league now you know, forever and a day, and we've only played them twice on the football field. That's just not right. There's a lot of student athletes, too. I mean, you know, it's just like, you know, you begin to look at all this stuff. You know, they're part of the SEC, but they don't get a chance to go play in some of the most hallowed venues in our sport. And so, obviously, we would stick with Ole Miss, and we'd have somebody from the East, let's say Kentucky. And then, you know what, hey, maybe you give us Alabama, LSU. And then so I, so I get out of a situation where I have to play Alabama, LSU, Auburn, and A&M every year. You kidding me? Well, yeah, I'll take that. And then we rotate around. And so one year, there's a chance that I may get, you know, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, Ole Miss, and Missouri on the schedule. And I don't know that I would be opposed to having Missouri as our permanent opponent. Because you know, Kentucky's got it better the last couple of years. We used to dominate that thing. And we've lost the last three trips to Lexington. So I, I like what I'm hearing about it. We'll see how things progress. I, I just don't think the pod thing is going to be passed. I, yeah, I just I, – I don't. But we'll see. You know, there's – there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes, but the, the SEC schedule rotation is going to change. And I think in many respects, it is going to change in Mississippi State's favor. And I know that some other people have written articles and have their hot takes based on these hypothetical pods and that sort of stuff and what they think might happen. Oh, Mississippi State's going to, you know, I actually think if we get out of playing, you know, the murderer's row of the SEC West every year, I think it's good for our program. I do. We all know the East, even though the East is getting better, you know, the East is not anywhere close to being as good as the West. Who would you rather play every year? You know, Vanderbilt, Missouri, Kentucky, South Carolina on that side? Are you kidding me? Of course, yeah, let me play those guys. Because who on the West is comparable? You know, so if we have a chance to rotate and play those teams, I think it makes good sense for us. I hope that's the proposal that passes. But don't just go ahead and buy into, oh, this, is, this pot thing is done. The pot thing is not done. There's still a lot of discussion to go. You know, we still got a few years to figure all this stuff out. But uh, the rotation is going to change. We're going to go to non-conference games. You go that I've heard that consistently. We are going to go to non-conference games. Uh, I, I don't know how I feel about that at this point. You know, but I think if we go to non-conference games, then we've got to drop the Power Five mandate. Because if we got to play non-conference games and another Power Five team – uh, it's going to be really tough for us to get to a bowl game consistently. Because what if we do get the rotation, we get Alabama, Florida, Tennessee, Georgia. 
and then we got to pick up a Power 5 team. You know, you kind of understand my point there. And so if we go to nine conference games, you drop the Power 5 mandate, so you can play nine, because then, of course, your, your ninth game is a Power 5 school within your conference, which works better regionally. And we don't end up having to go to Arizona and Minnesota. Uh, but the rest of that story is then you get three non-conference games at home, which ensures that you get a seven-game schedule. That's how that would work, right? Because you've got non-conference games. You know, the years that you only have four home SEC games, you're going to need those three non-conference games. And it doesn't need to be a Power 5 because you could be a situation where if the rotation falls funny, you have six or less home games. It's just not going to work out well for us. And so that's what's got to happen. I look forward to hearing the final proposals. I look forward to hearing how this thing passes. But uh, rest assured that the football scheduling model within the SEC is about to change. Final segment of the show brought to you by the fine folks with Portico. You guys know where it is. You've heard me talk about it many times. You may have even gone by and checked it out. If you haven't, you should. You turn off of 82 onto 12, take the very first ride, which is Pat Station Road. That'll take you over Old West Point Road. I mean, it's, we're just talking a matter of, you know, eighth of a mile. And then Portico is going to be up there. A brand new, great residential development. You know what? Some of, our, some of our Boneyard listeners are already at home there in Portico. You should join them. 1.1 miles from campus. And on the right side of campus, right? It's on the quiet side of campus. So you're not out there having to fight the hustle and bustle of traffic, you know, is, uh, you know, is on 12. You know, and listen, I love our, our merchants on 12, but uh, I wouldn't want to live there. I'd love to shop there, but I'd love to live close to campus. I live out in the sticks now. If I was moving to Starkville, I would move to Portico. You can get you a two-bedroom, two-bath house, four-bedroom, four-bath house. Whether it be an investment property for you or your primary residence, Portico is absolutely the way to go. Brooks Bryan is a guy that is committed to Mississippi State. He's part of that great group. It's trying to make Starkville a better place to live, better place to work, better place to recreate. Give Brooks a call today. He'll let you know what's going on. Phase one's done. Phase one's done, but you can go ahead and get in line for phase two. And uh, there might be a house left if you want to make a move sooner rather than later. Give Brooks a call today at 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. You'll be glad you did. Brooks is a very interesting guy. Got a lot to talk about. Loves Mississippi State. Loves Starkville. He's committed to us. Simple as that. So be committed to him. Make Portico your next move. I, you know, I thought it long and hard about who we could talk about today. And I came up with one name. And it's the only one that really matters when it comes to the Mississippi State-LSU rivalry. It's John Bond. The living legend. The guy was my hero when I was a kid. And so one of the things that I don't think a lot of people fully appreciate is John Bond was the ultimate tiger killer. John beat him four years in a row. Did you know that? I know some of you old school Bulldog fans know that, but do you young guys know that John Bond, that's right, John Bond beat LSU four years in a row and really had a lot of fun doing it. And so kind of going back here a little bit, John's one of those guys, too, that, you know, he did not accept the natural order of things at Mississippi State. You know, he was just like, you know what, hey, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not just going to say, hey, it's okay to lose because I've never lost. I'm a winner, and so I'm going to find a way to win. And so he brought that mentality with him. And people forget, too, I mean, you know, even though he spent some time in Georgia, he grew up as a young man you know, living next door to Kermit Davis. It's a guy that understands what it takes. 
And so we go back to 1980, and uh, John actually sparked a uh, five-year winning streak for us against LSU. So 1980, that's the famous year we beat Alabama 6-3, and John became a legend. Guys, we played Jackson. We put LSU and Jackson that year. John led us to a 55-31 win over LSU. You got that? 55-31. to that, I think that game is online somewhere, too. I think you can find it on YouTube. So if you want to take a trip down memory lane and watch that. JB destroys them. We come back in 81. We go to Tiger Stadium. We beat them 17-9. That 81 defense, and you know, we talk so much about 80. It's almost like the 84 Diamond Dog team and the 85 team. It's like the 84 team is kind of overshadowed by 85. But that 81 defense, you know, we didn't have the big win against Alabama that year, but that 81 defense was absolutely legit. You know, Ty Keys and Johnny Cooks and Glenn Collins and, you know, Billy Jackson. I mean, you you had some dudes on that defense. Rob Festmeyer, of course, out there laying lumber at safety. That was an incredible defense. Uh, maybe Festmeyer may have been gone at 81. I'm not sure. I don't remember. I, I, but anyway, my point being is that, you know, we, we shut a, a very good LSU team down. In 82, we play here. And if I'm not mistaken, the first night game, the first true night game, I guess, we brought in the temporary lights. And uh, I remember being at a friend's birthday party. And back in those days, we didn't have Mississippi State on TV a lot. This didn't happen. You kids today are so spoiled. I mean, you really are. You can watch Mississippi State when you want. You can watch Mississippi State on your phone. We had to come watch Mississippi State play in person. Maybe once a year we'd be on TV. I remember watching it whenever the highlights would come on TV. You know what I'm saying? Like when you were a kid on WDAM or JTV or or wherever. You were always just so happy to just get a glimpse of your team. Well, this one was on TV. and I was at a birthday party, and all the kids were glued to the TV because it was such a big deal that Mississippi State was on TV. And then we won the game. 27-24, Dana Moore, if I'm not mistaken. Dana Moore makes the big field goal there to win. And then in 83, we go back to Baton Rouge, and then JB routes those boys again, 45-26. to And, of course, JB was gone, but we win in 80, 84 as well. So we'd beat LSU five years in a row. It had kind of become commonplace for us. But here is a story about John Bond and LSU that many of you don't know. And that's what you tune in for, right? It's like, yeah, Steve, I can look up the stats. I know the records. Come on, man. Here's a story you don't know. So years ago, John Bond and I had a conversation. I interviewed John for a piece that I was writing, and I've been so incredibly blessed to uh, to have a friendship with John Bond. And you know, we're not we don't we don't hang out, but uh, John will take my call. And every time I'm around him, JB's always so gracious to me. And uh, and let me tell you this: ten year old Steve would be awfully impressed uh, to know that John Bond. Uh, we'll take his call. But um, so I wrote this piece about JB, and, and he said that, uh, you know, several years after he was done, you know, playing college football, they got a call one day. And uh, there was a guy that was going to be like the head of a Mardi Gras committee for one of the parades in, uh, in New Orleans. And so the guy was a Tulane grad, and he absolutely despises LSU. And so he asked John Bond, our John Bond, our star quarterback John Bond, to be the grand marshal of the parade because John was the ultimate tiger killer. And it would just irritate the LSU people to no end. And so it was that guy's way 
of just kind of sending a little kiss off to his uh, his LSU buddies to have John Bond, the Mississippi State option quarterback, that beat him four years and embarrassed him three out of four times to be on that lead float in the one of those big Mardi Gras parades in New Orleans. So that's a cool little story for you. JB, if you're listening, man, love you to death, man, and thanks for all your contributions to Mississippi State. I'm so glad that he is uh, back coaching again and uh, teaching the game, man, these younger guys. And uh, listen, if you're ever around John Bond, he is smiling. That's who he is. This is a guy that uh, loves Mississippi State. You know, he did the Jumbotron video a few years ago, and I was glad they included John because, you know, John's one of those guys, in many respects, was like Dak, where he's like, no, we can win. You know, it's like we're not going to accept the natural order of things. Oh, we're supposed to lose to these teams. No, I'm gonna, we're going to find a way to win. And that's, you know, I think Dak and JB are a lot alike in that respect. The JB was a guy that just said, let's go. All right, let's, let's go win a ball game. And so my hope is we can channel a little spirit of JB. If it was up to me, JB would be the honorary captain this weekend. I'd have him go out there and call the toss. Uh, but it's not. But uh, anyway, thanks so much, John, for your contributions to Mississippi State. A living legend brought to you by Portico. That's going to do it for today, man. Thanks so much for your support of the show. And uh, listen, again, get out and go buy some books. We appreciate that very, very much. If you're not a subscriber to jeanspage.com, you should be. Again, a lot of recruiting news this weekend, and uh, including the, uh, the post-visit interview with uh, Stone Blanton, Caden Pope, and, of course, your commitments, Jackson Cannon and Lucas Taylor. Let's uh, hope for a good weekend and uh, hope that Mississippi State can make us all smile this weekend and win a ball game and kind of get us on track again so we can feel good about football. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.